Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Anyway, I'd like to welcome Simon. Okay, so let's move on to the, uh, this last talk in the Emotionally Healthy series. If you think back to four weeks ago, the whole essence of this talk is just to grow in emotional health and spirituality. And we've only really scratched the surface of this topic. This is a big topic. And I'd encourage you, even though we're finishing the actual focus on a Sunday today, I'd encourage you not to leave it behind. You've got some great time over the summer to spend some time reflecting and thinking about how am I growing spiritually How am I growing emotionally? And today we're going to look at some of the habits and rhythms that might help us grow as individuals. Because it's okay just to hear a talk, but how do we apply that into our lives to bring about real change? In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, uh, the author Palmer Parker tells about farmers in in the old Midwest of America. When the blizzards would come in the winter, they would tie a rope to their back door. And they'd tie the rope to the back door, and they'd take that rope and they'd tie it to the barn. Because they knew when the winters came and the blizzards came, if they stepped outside their back door and they got lost in the blizzards, they could freeze to death, literally feet away from their back door. So I would follow the rope in the blizzard all the way down to the barn and do what I need to do with the animals, and then follow the rope back to their back door and back into safety. And you can think about spiritual habits as being that rope that anchors us in the blizzard of culture. Uh, in the blizzard of change, in the blizzard of the challenge of business of life. We need some sort of rope that's going to help us anchor ourselves into God and into our spirituality. Because the danger is we can all get lost in the swirl. We can all get lost in the blizzard of busyness, lost in the blizzards of the things that challenge us. And we need something like a rope that's going to help anchor us back into God. And some of the habits and principles I'll explain today, you can think upon as being like that rope that anchors you into God in all sorts of circumstances that go on around you. And they're going to help us get back to God, even in the midst of the swirl, even in the midst of the blizzard. At the heart of both these disciplines we're going to talk about today is a thing called stopping to surrender. So when we stop, and when we pause, and when we make space for God, what we're doing is we're surrendering a bit more of our lives to him. We're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you enough to stop my activity, to stop what I'm doing, stop what I'm thinking, and actually connect with you. The theologian Robert Barron said this. He said, the essence of being in God's image is our ability, like God, to stop. So what he's saying there is in the creation narrative, you have a God who worked, and then a God who stopped and rested. Yeah? So he worked in creation, and then the scripture tells he stopped and rested. And when we do the same, when we work and when we stop and rest, we're actually we're mirroring the very image of God. Robert goes on to say this. We imitate God by stopping our work and resting. If we can stop for one day a week or for many Sabbaths, we touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brain, our bodies, our spirits and our emotions become wired by God for the rhythm of work and rest in him. And there's something about working and resting that reflects the very nature of God. So we're going to talk about the Sabbath today, but also we're going to talk about a thing called the daily office. Now, that's not the office comedy program, you should remember. It's, um, 
The word office comes from the Latin meaning to work. It means to work. Uh, and for, for the monks, the biggest work they had was the, the, the connection with God, was prayer and devotion. And so they came up with this term, the daily office, and it became their highest priority in their lives. And uh, it's a bit different to what you and I might think about as a quiet time. If you've grown up with sort of a, a Christian tradition, you might have been said you need to have a quiet time first thing in the morning, and you need to read your Bible, and you need to say your prayers, and you need to go through your lists. Well, the daily office wasn't so much about that. It's more about not doing something for God. It's about being with God. So the early, the early church was preoccupied with this sense of connecting and being with God. And it turns from people who do to people who just be with God. And so this sense of the daily office being the highest priority, the highest thing we can do in terms of connecting with God. In the Bible, you see David, um, he practiced prayer seven times a day. It says in the Psalms, 119, seven times I praised you. So he had this rhythm of connection with God throughout his day. Daniel, we mentioned last week, connected with God three times a day, even in captivity in Babylon. Devout Jews around Jesus' time would have prayed at least two times a day, set times of prayer. And Jesus himself would have probably followed similar customs. And then later on, you see in Acts 3, after Jesus' resurrection, the establishment of the early church, the disciples also seemed to maintain those rhythms of prayer. Acts 3.1 says Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. That's where they met the guy at the gate called Beautiful, and they healed him. So there was these rhythms, these ancient rhythms of prayer and connection that were established in the life of the early church and before. And in AD 525, a man called Benedict, he began to structure prayer around something called the day of the office. And uh, for the monks that were with him, he created a framework of prayer eight times a day when they would connect with God. And one of them was in the middle of the night. You can imagine all the monks getting up for that, can't you, thinking, that's fantastic. (laughs) But these rules of St. Benedict became one of the most powerful documents in shaping the early church. For 1,500 years, these rhythms shaped the early church. Benedict wrote this, he said, On hearing the signal for the air of divine office, the monk will immediately set aside whatever he has in hand and will go with utmost speed. Indeed, nothing is to be preferred to the work of God. So literally, whatever they were doing, they would drop it, and they would go for their connection, their daily office with God. So all these people we've talked about, they understood regular stopping and connection with God throughout their day, uh, a rhythm uh, that was established in their lives. And it's something of this rhythm that we need to discover as a modern church, because we've lost some of the essence of this, I think, uh, over the past couple of hundred years or so. We need to, what Brother Lawrence describes, as practice the presence of God. We need to try and make that a real possibility in our lives. So how does it work? Well, I'm guessing at this point you think, well, that sounds great for the monks, but it's not going to work for me. <laughs> you know, my life consists more of wandering around, you know, an old drafty building and saying a few prayers. My life is packed with stuff. My life is maxed out in terms of everything I have to fit in. We all lead these incredibly busy, pressured lives. And I want you to recognise at this point that everyone's different in the room. Everyone's got different circumstances. Everyone's got different pressures. Everyone's got a different backstory. But there's principles here that we need to try and get a hold of as we move forward as church. And the key here to think about is not how long you spend with God, but how often do you remember God during your day? Uh, You can coin the phrase regular remembrance. How often do you remember God during your day? 
And that's really important. Because you can pause to be with God throughout your day for just a couple of minutes on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes, but if you regularly connect with God for just a couple of minutes throughout your day, you're entering into this regular remembrance that the, uh, the early church and the monastic tradition really embraced. And so I want to talk about just four things that we can try and do to help us do this, this regular remembrance. There they are, stopping, stillness, silence and scripture. Four S's, come on. <clears throat> yeah. Church loves alliteration. Stopping. This is the essence of the daily office. And it's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Who finds stopping hard? Everybody. Because whatever we're doing, it's important. We need to finish it, don't we? And when we finish that thing, we need to get on to the next thing, which is waiting, queuing up for us to do. But when we stop, even for the briefest moment, and we pause and we remember God, there's something incredibly powerful. Because what we're saying in essence, is God, you're in control. I believe you're the upholder of the universe. You're the upholder of my life. You're the upholder of everything that's in my life, all my jobs I need to do, my tasks, the pressures I face. You uphold and sustain all that. And when I pause momentarily and remember that, then I'm trusting that you can uphold it all, even when I'm not. Even when I take my hands away, you're upholding it. And sadly, guys, for many of us, the only time we truly stop is when we get ill. Yeah? It's an enforced stopping, isn't it? So if something happens to us, we get really ill, or, or a situation occurs, and it forces us onto our backs, and that's the only time we really tend to stop. And we feel guilty doing it then. But the traditions would say we need to build in regular stopping into our lives for spiritual and emotional health. The second thing is Stillness. This is when we, we centre ourselves in God. We allow him to become the centre again. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently before him. And for many of us, we could say that's a very, very rare thing in our lives, to be still before the Lord and to wait patiently for him. But in stillness, we move into God's presence and we just wait there. We just wait in the presence of God. And this Again, sounds very simple, but can be incredibly challenging to do. As C.S. Lewis put it like this, he said, It comes the very moment you wake up in the morning, all your wishes and hopes of the day rush at you like wild animals. Yeah? And the first job each morning consists of shoving them back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day standing back from your natural fussing and fretting and coming in out of the wind. And powerful words from C.S. there. Even from the moment we open our eyes, our to-do lists scream at us. The pressures of the day, the things we need to do, they all shout like a, come running like a herd of animals. And we have to say, no, I'm going to push you back and I'm going to listen for the voice of God. And so when we do that, we, we're trying to let go of, of distractions and tensions and sensations and begin putting ourselves back into the very presence of God. Here's some things, very simple things you can try. Just be still. Sit up straight. Just, just adopt uh, an active presence, waiting for God. Breathe slowly, deeply and naturally. Allow your breath to help you find rhythm in God. And close your eyes or just simply look, at a, look at, out the window or look at a spot. And when you find your mind wandering, 
you can use the ancient breathing prayer where you breathe in God and you breathe out all the bad stuff. You breathe in God and you breathe out all the bad stuff. And you adopt a very simple rhythmic pattern in God's presence. And a second really helpful tool you can employ is one of the most ancient prayers the church has ever prayed. It's called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Now the later church added on, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because they were into that sort of stuff. But we're just going to stay with, have mercy on me. Because that's the original prayer. The Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And you can just simply repeat that prayer quietly for a couple of minutes and establish that lovely rhythm of being still in God's presence. And coupled with that, we have silence. Dallas Willard, he calls silence and solitude the two most radical disciplines of the Christian life. They don't sound very radical, but they are radical because they take, it's really hard to pursue them. Solitude is the practice of being absent from people and being attendant to God. And silence is the process of quietening your own inner voice and all the voices outside and letting God come in and speak. Henry Nguyen said this, he said, without solitude, it's almost impossible to live a spiritual life. Without solitude, it's almost impossible to live a spiritual life. We live in a world where there's so many distractions, aren't there? 24-7 society, so much noise, so much going on in our lives. And if we're honest, most of us fear silence. We fear silence because we're so used to having some sort of input into our lives. Some studies say that on average, some people can only bear 15 seconds of silence before they need to do something or listen to something or talk to somebody. Anybody resonate with that? When God appeared to Elijah after his suicidal depression, he was driven by Jezebel for fear of his life into a cave. Uh, And God told him to stand and wait because God was going to come and speak to him. But God didn't appear as he had appeared in the past. He appeared differently. He didn't appear in the wind, as he'd done to Job. He didn't appear in the earthquake, as he'd done at Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments. And he didn't appear in a fire, as he'd done when he spoke to Moses through the burning bush. How did he finally reveal himself to Elijah? In the still, small voice. Your NIV doesn't do justice, really. It's actually in the still, silent voice in the original Hebrew. God spoke to Elijah in the still silence. That's how he spoke to him. And that's something that we need to discover for ourselves. Can we hear God in the still silence? Can we make space to push away all the distractions? Because God is still the God who speaks that way to us. And sometimes we look for the dramatic voice of God, we look for the big voice of God, but God is saying, stand and wait for me, because I want to speak to you in the still silence. And lastly, scripture. Uh, the Psalms have been used throughout history in the, in the church as a way of connecting with God. And um, it's only more recently they've gone out of fashion. But the Psalms are an incredibly powerful tool to us. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, he says, the Psalms are not devotional, or psychological, or romantic. They've got no use at all in these departments, but they do give us a form to our formlessness. For many of us, there's no lack of impulse to pray. There's no lack of desires to pray. But why are so many of us prayerless? Simply because the well is deep, and you have nothing to draw with. 
We need a bucket. We need a container that holds water. Desires and demands are a sieve. So if we just come to God with lists of things we want God to do, then Eugene would say that's just a sieve that leaks. We need a container that holds water. We need a vessel suited to lowering desires and demands into the deep Jacob's well of God's presence and bringing them to the surface. The Psalms are like that bucket. Isn't that powerful? In the Psalms, we find every gamut of human expression. Every emotion is represented in the psalm. But also, they lift us to the largeness of God. They don't leave us just in humanity's state. They lift us up to the largeness of God. And so when you pray in the psalms, they give expression to all that you're feeling, all that you're going through, but also they continually lift you up to the person of God. And for the past 1,800 years, up until recently, the psalms are the mainstay of the church. It's only recently they've become less popular and they've been discarded in favour of new ways of connecting with God but I think there's something to be rediscovered in the power of the Psalms because they're really really effective at producing spiritual and emotional health in the life of believers I want to recommend a book to you today here it comes it's um, Peter Cesaro's Day by Day this is a 40 day journal based upon the principles of the daily office so uh, in each section you've got a morning office and an evening office and uh, you've got a very small piece of scripture. You've got uh, a reflection. And then you've got uh, normally an extremely challenging question uh, that really goes deep um, for you to think on and reflect on. But bookending each, each time, you get the opportunity to practice two minutes of silence at the start and two minutes of silence at the end. When I first started using this, I thought my phone had broken. Put two minutes on the timer, Go. Must be two minutes by now. Must be two. <laughs> 20 seconds. Must be two minutes. <laughs> you try and keep still and silent for two minutes, and it seems like an utter eternity if you are not practiced in it. And Peter would encourage us. This is just the start of a journey. It's a 40-day um, book, which I found incredibly helpful. I know a few others I've recommended to have found it helpful too. But it's a really powerful tool. It's a different tool. It's different to what you normally see in a... Um, a quiet time or a, an everyday with Jesus or a Bible reading thing. It's not designed to do that. It's designed to take you deeper into God and go into yourself uh, and your own spirituality. So you may want to look at that. It may help you. So remember, the purpose of the daily office is about bringing that remembrance, that continual remembrance of God throughout whatever you're doing during your day. It's trying to establish within you a pattern of communication with God regardless of what you're doing, where you are. Um, and it's trying to create some structures and habits that are going to help you do that. But I want to encourage you, it's not about doing something right so God loves you more or cares for you more. We, we must avoid legalism with all these things because that's the tendency of the human spirit, is to tend towards legalism. It says in uh, Colossians 2, this is Paul writing, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals or celebrations or Sabbath days, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. In reality, the reality, however, is found in Christ. So these aren't designed to replace Jesus. They're not designed to replace who he is and what he does. They're trying to help us establish rhythms and patterns so we're more aware of his presence in our lives. So that's a bit about the daily office. Let's move on to the Sabbath now. The Sabbath. Now, this is really tough. The word Sabbath means to cease, to stop working. 
And in biblical terms, it means to cease or stop working for a period of 24 hours. Who can do that? Nobody, just as I suspected. To keep the Sabbath in any form in modern life seems untenable, seems really hard to do. And often we consign the Sabbath to an Old Testament principle that we don't need to really pay much attention to anymore. For most of us, the thought of going from seven days to six is a shock and untenable. For most of us, we'd rather go from six days to eight, wouldn't we? An extra day in the week would really be helpful. But we need to really think about how we can integrate Sabbath principles into our lives. Let's think back to the Israelites. They were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. Okay? They worked seven days a week, 365 days a year for 400 years. No annual leave, no time off in lieu, no breaks. Okay? That's what they did. That was their life. They, they became a doing machine under the uh, mastery of the Egyptians. So for 400 plus years, all they knew was work. Work, work, work. They were the, they were the powerhouse behind the construction uh, that was happening in Egypt at the time. So God brings them out of Egypt using Moses, and they're taken out into the desert, and God gives them a set of commandments to try and help them live in a way that mirrors who he he is. And the, the commandment that has the most written about it, what is that commandment? The Sabbath. If you look at the list in your Bible, you'll find do not murder is quite short, do not steal is quite short. The one that has the biggest section about it is the Sabbath, the Sabbath principle. Whole generations of Israelites had never experienced any rhythm of work and rest. All they knew was work. They lived to work. That's all they did. And so every day blurred into the next. Work, 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 from when they were born to when they died. And God says, I want to establish a different rhythm in your life. And he gives them the commandments. And he says this in Exodus 20, verse uh, verse 117, the commandments are listed there. He says, remember the Sabbath. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh you shall do no work. So God worked, and we're to work, and God rested, and God says we're to rest. Before the Israelites entered the promised land, Moses gave them a pep talk. He reminded them of the commandments that had been given. He reminded them they were different to the people they were going to go in and, uh, and sort of mix with and occupy with. And he said this, remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. And you wouldn't naturally put those two things together, would you? But what Moses is saying is, one of the things that will make you different from the people around you and make you distinct is that you will be a people who will rest. You will work and you will rest. So we need to figure out how can we take the importance of what's written in Scripture and apply it into our own lives in a modern society. And that's challenging. The Sabbath doesn't have to be a certain day. It can be any point in your working week. But there are four things, again, that we can think about if you're going to try and apply Sabbath principles to yourself. Now you're all thinking this is never going to fly. Okay, here we go. Here we go again. Stop. So the, the first thing about Sabbath is that we stop. We stop. We, we, we cease from our endless work, our endless to-do lists, our endless jobs. We cease and we stop. Now, this is huge, isn't it? Because for every one of us, 
we just got to finish this one last thing before we stop. Yeah? Some of you are always trying to do one last thing before you come to church on a Sunday, don't you? Just get one last job in. You know, make one last, do one last thing. We all try and fit in one last thing, one more thing before we stop. Anyone, uh, I was going to use an old analogy here, but you would never understand it probably, some of you. The fourth bridge? What was the, what was the, what was the saying about the fourth bridge? When they stopped painting one end, they had to start painting at the start again, didn't they? It's so big. It's a huge bridge, railway bridge over the, the first fourth. So big that when the painters finished one end, they started again at the other. But not anymore, I found out. Look, yesterday, they've coated up the new system. They finally finished painting the fourth bridge. It won't need painting again for another bridge. As soon as we start one thing, we have to go on to the next thing. And when we finish that thing, there's another thing. And we live this life where there's always one thing queuing up. So the thought of stopping is really, really difficult. It feels irresponsible. It feels wasteful. It feels counterproductive, doesn't it, to stop? I'm an achiever by nature, so I love to do stuff. So I love to... You've seen me outside painting the house on a regular basis. Christian drove past and said, haven't you finished painting that house yet? Well, I have. I've finished painting the front, but the sides need doing. Ha-ha. Um... So the very thought of stopping for all of us seems really wasteful. It seems counterintuitive, counterproductive. And for many of us, we look ahead to a time when we'll stop. We think when the kids are grown up, I'll stop. Uh, when everyone's left home, I'll stop. When I've retired, I'll stop. Any retirees have stopped yet? No. Okay. In fact, a quieter day, guys, is never coming. It's never coming. We kid ourselves if we think a quieter day is coming. It's never coming. Life will always be as busy and pressured as it is now. But by stopping, by observing some form of Sabbath, we acknowledge to God that God's in control. That God's in control of all the stuff in our lives. Because we know this side of heaven, life will be an endless series of tasks, never finished. But when we stop, we say to God, I trust that you can uphold this and you can keep this in your care and I can pause and I can rest. So what do we do when we stop? Well, we rest. And we rest from... There's some things that's on this list that you might resonate with, but there might be more that you want to put on there. We stop from... We rest from work. We rest from physical exhaustion. We rest from hurriedness. Trying to multitask. We rest from being competitive. We try and rest from worry and anxiety. We rest from decision-making. Because many of us rest physically, but then we get our iPads out, we get our task lists out, we get our plans out, and we're on to something else. We rest from catching up on jobs. We rest from talking sometimes. We rest from technology. I said before, sometimes the only time we really rest is when we're physically put on our backs by an illness. That's often the only time we really get stopped by God and made to lie down and made to be still. Another key aspect of Sabbath is delight. God wants us to slow down and take delight in the things around us in creation, in the simple taste of some food, in looking at something, you know, a cloud or a leaf or a flower or, you know, William Blake wrote this, he said, to see the world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower. That's the essence of the Sabbath. It's when we stop and we pause and we look at things with fresh eyes and we savour our senses and we savour creation around us and we take time to smell the roses, we take time to actually look at the clouds, we take time to savour and delight. We take time to maybe have a, a chance conversation with a neighbour. We take time to savour time with people. And we take time to play. And we take time to do things that we enjoy. All these are really important principles of Sabbath.
And the last one is we take time to contemplate. And that really is about stopping and reflecting and allowing God to become centre of our lives. In Jewish tradition, they prepare for the Sabbath by getting everything done ready. They, they do all the jobs before, they go to bed early, they, they prepare themselves for the Sabbath because they want to make sure the Sabbath is the time they can fully enjoy. So, if you're thinking about Sabbath principles in your own life, you know, how could they possibly work? Is it a portion of a day? Is it a part of a week? Is there a time you can set aside to try and embed some of these principles? They really are important. I read a great thing. It says, Sabbath is like the gift of a snow day. It snows really heavily, and everything closed. Schools close, the roads close, the shops close. And what do you do? You're stuck at home, and you're snowed in, and you ah, can't do anything. And that's like, Sabbath is like a snow day every week. It's like the gift of a snow day every week. But you're choosing, you're choosing to put those principles into play. You're not letting those things happen to you. You're making choices to put the principles of Sabbath in. So these two things, the Sabbath and daily office, they come together to form uh, what you could describe as, a, as, a, as a, a rule, a rule of life. Now, before you think legalism again, before you think heavy, the word rule um, is the same word that's used for trellis. So when you grow stuff up, you use a trellis, don't you? So if you think about grapes, grapes go really well on a trellis, don't they? The purpose of the trellis is to support the grapes, they get off the ground, they can become more fruitful and more productive. So when you think about rules of life, what we're trying to do is put in place a trellis or a framework in your own life that's going to help you be more fruitful and more productive. So some things that we can think about as we think about a rule of life, some of the things that we've looked at over the past few weeks, I'll put them up on there. Benedict, again, was again the first guy who really began to think about this and, and put it together as a framework. So the aspects of prayer, we talked about scripture, silence and solitude, the daily office. You might find that study forms part of your, you might love to read uh, and go deeper with scripture. The principles of the Sabbath, the rest, simplicity is really important in modern life. How can you, how can you simplify your life? How can you get rid of some of the stuff that's taking your time or cluttering you? You know, can you lead a simpler life that's more attuned to God? And play and recreation was touched into there as well. Activity, so really important thing about how you're serving using the gifts and talents God's given you. Uh, there might be a specific mission that God has placed upon you. Is God going to use you to reach a certain people group, to reach your neighbour? What's the mission that God's placed in your life? And care for your physical body is also really important. Really important the body that God's given you, how are you looking after it, how are you paying attention to it. And then relationships on there, emotional health we've talked about extensively, investment in family and community, we talked about these trusted companions for the journey. Who are the people around you that you trust enough to have the big conversations with? Who are the people that you trust enough to speak into your life and challenge you uh, in love? And so as you think about your own rule, your own trellis, uh, maybe you can go away and begin to jot down bits and pieces that you want to bring into your life. Because it's all about intentional spirituality. This isn't going to happen to you because it's on the screen. It's not going to be deposited into your heart today by, by automatic sort of transfer. We have to be intentional about our spirituality. And the only person that can do that, guess what, is you. No one else can be intentional about your spirituality. It's one job you can't delegate and it's one job you shouldn't abdicate because it's, it's yours to do. And so what might a rule of life look for you? 
look like for you over the weeks and months ahead? What are the things you want to intentionally try and put into your own life to grow emotionally and spiritually? I really hope you've enjoyed this series. It has been a whistle-stop. There's been a lot in here. Um, maybe, if you've got time, go back and listen to the four talks again. Maybe get the books that we've talked about. Um, but I really want to encourage you that you don't just go, okay, what's next? Because this, for us to grow and mature, is really, really important. And no one else can do your growing for you. No one can. No, no one can grow for you. You're the only person that can take this and intentionally choose to grow. And we're all beginners at this. We're all beginners. You know, when I think about Sabbath principles, it just scares me, witless. And I'm a pastor. Okay, how do I imbibe Sabbath principles into my life in a realistic way? But we're going to try and do it. We're going to try and do it, and we're going to try and begin to think about these things, and we're going to try and make space for things like the daily office and try and pay attention to our emotions and try and grow together uh, into all that God has for us. It may seem daunting, and we can take uh, some comfort from back to St. Benedict. He wrote this uh, many, many, many years ago. He said, Not be daunted immediately by fear and run away from the road that leads to salvation. It's bound to be narrow at the outset. But as we progress in this way of life and faith, we shall run on the path of God's commandments, our hearts overflowing with the inexpressible delight of love. Isn't that beautiful? If you've ever had the pleasure of meeting somebody who has steeped themselves in God over decades, you will know because the life and the love of God just flow from them. The investment they've made, God said, will be manifestly evident. When you go into the secret place with God, Jesus said it will be manifestly evident to other people. Other people won't see your time with God, but they will see the result of your time with God because it, it will be worn. It will be manifest on you and so I really want to encourage you over the summer maybe use that as a time to kick start some of these principles and, uh, and God's there waiting for you he's waiting for you there to, to find him in the stillness to find him in the solitude so let's stand together and pray I just want to pray a blessing on you today Father God, we thank you for these, these ancient principles that uh, demonstrate your, just your love for the church over, over, over millennia, God. You've been present. And Lord, we want to uncap these ancient wells. We want your life and your love to flow in us in fresh ways. And God, we thank you for all that we have now and all the, the things that you give us now. But equally, God, we want to just tap into some of these ancient wells, these roots these traditions that have served your church so well. So God, would you just, by your grace, give everyone in this room and beyond God, anyone connected with us, God, just give them grace to find new rhythms in their life, new rhythms and habits of life. And God, with us fear, Father, I pray you come. Your perfect love drives out fear. And Lord, would you take us on this road, this journey that you promise? So, God, that every year we can say we're growing in you. Every year we, we can say that we're, we're knowing more of you. We're changing to become more like you. So, I just pray your blessing on the people here. If you want to receive from the Spirit, you might want to open your hands today. Or you might want to do whatever you feel comfortable with. But let's just receive from the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for your presence.
We thank you that you're in the business of growing your church. And Lord, we thank you. So I pray for every person here, every unique person here, that you would meet them in a fresh way over the days and weeks ahead. In a fresh way. You know us individually, God, and I pray you would meet us in a fresh way. And Father, I pray that we'll be a people of the Sabbath. I really do pray, God, that next year we could say we're a people of the Sabbath. Whatever that looks like for each of us, I pray we could say we're a, we're a people of the Sabbath. And we've, we've somehow imbibed those principles into our modern lives and they've transformed us. So come, Holy Spirit. Fill us now with your presence. We bless you, Lord. Just see the Holy Spirit resting on you here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. More of your presence. Maybe you can be a trusted companion to somebody. Maybe you can encourage them down this road. Maybe you can, maybe you can say, hey, now, how are you getting on with that? How can I help you? How can I encourage you? Thank you, Spirit. We bless you. We bless you. You might want to practice that, that breathing we talked about right now. Just breathe in the Holy Spirit. Just breathe out anything you want to get rid of. Any junk. Any stuff that you feel you've done wrong. Any, any ungodly beliefs. Any just stuff that's come in the week that you want to just breathe out. Breathe it out and breathe in the Spirit of God. Breathe out the junk. Breathe in the Spirit of God. Increase your presence, Lord. We bless you. We bless you, Jesus. And we say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Bless you, Jesus. One more time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Thank you, Father. If you've come today with a prayer need, we'd love to pray for you. You might have a physical need. You might have another need in your life. We'd love to pray for you and bless you. If that's you, you can make your way to the front. We'll close the service at this point so you can grab some coffee. But uh, yeah, if you've come with a prayer need, please don't leave without getting someone to pray for you today. God bless you. Have a restful summer. And we'll look forward to seeing you in the autumn. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.